Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 13 if you haven't already. Just a little psalm, but uh, they say that mother, repetition is the mother of all learning. And so it's neat when you go through the psalms and you see some common themes repeated over and over again. And in my own earlier intense study through the psalms, going a little bit at a time like this, it really just revolutionized my own prayer life, you know, uh, just to hear, uh, you know, that if these are model prayers as well as songs to be sung together, God was encouraging His people to be real in what they were feeling, their emotions with the Lord, take those directly to Him. Many times we stuff things inside or we talk to others about our hurts and disappointments. It's important to have good friends to talk to and things, but uh, to be real and raw and honest in our prayer life with the Lord seems, after you've been through the songs, to be encouraged by God. And I love the way that David does it. Oftentimes, he pours his heart out to the Lord, many times with questions, with statements of frustration. And then you can almost see, you know, I don't know if you have ever heard about just um, um, verbal diarrhea or whatever, you know, just dumping it out there, you know, uh, and, and that sort of thing. And you, you'll talk with people sometimes and they just they're so frustrated about something, they have to get it all out. And then after a few minutes, you say, oh, okay, are you done? You know, and then, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and, you know, the, the heart rate settles down a little bit and they calm down. You can almost see David uh, frantically trapped in a cave and other places and situations that he had uh, where he was just uh, poured it all out there before the Lord. And then, you know, took a, de- took a breath, took a breath. And what happens then is, and this is why it's so important to be those who have read the Bible, those who have prayed about the, over the Bible and let it seep into you because Christians uh, need to be very good at meditation, but we're not doing meditation like the Eastern religions are. Eastern religions think, empty your mind and think about nothing. <laughs> and then what happens is the devil gets a place where he can start suggesting things to you that the world teaches and says, you know. Christian meditation is not emptying your mind, but meditating and filling your mind with scriptures uh, so that you, when those moments come where you're praying, after you have talked to God and you stop long enough to start listening to God, what he then does is he brings to your remembrance uh, the ways God has worked in your life in the past, how you can rely on him. He brings to remembrance specific scriptures that meet the need of the moment. And, and your words back to the Lord in prayer then are formed by what he has spoken and said to you. And so David often in the moment of frustration pours his heart out to God. Then you can almost see in these Psalms the Selah moments. Stop. Think about this, you know. And then he starts reminding himself. He's preaching to himself. Um, one message I preached from the Psalm one time was time to get another preacher, you know. <laughs> Not that I wanted to be kicked out, you know, where I was or where I am and stuff, but you need to preach to yourself too. You go back and preach to yourself the things you already know from the scriptures. And then having settled your heart that God is in control, God has acted in the past in my life, He's with me in the present, He'll act in today and He'll act in the future. Then you turn around and as you face the day, then you uh, are ready to go forth into the day 
knowing uh, that uh, he is in control. And I think about all those difficult days where David was around difficult men. We're told before he was the king, the ones who joined him were rabble, you know. And uh, they, rabble-rousers are complainers too, and they're do-things-in-the-flesh kind of people and stuff. And so they're the kind of guy that suggests when the Lord's anointed is before you and has messed you over somehow, you ought to take matters into your own hands and kill the king because you've got a promise you're going to be the king one day. And at least on two different occasions, I read it again recently, David had opportunity to kill Saul, remove his Saul problem, and he refused to do it even when encouraged by some of these rabble-rousers around him to take matters into his own hands. He said, that's the Lord's anointed. And, you know, uh, the second time particularly, it goes into him understanding, listen, um, God's promises will come true in God's ways, but I know that I am not allowed to just act in the flesh to secure the kingdom for me or whatever. And it's really powerful that way. So he, he, he I think a lot of these Psalms, uh, there are some that tell us it happened at night and they're for the night, but I think some of them were to get ready for the day with our minds and hearts in the right place so that we can go forward with trusting God, a song in our, on our lips, and uh, ready to uh, speak to those uh, around us about the things of the Lord. I think that's the only way you get the kind of interaction that Elizabeth and I had with Dan and Pat Harper a little while ago, uh, where she wants to be healed, and we're praying for that to happen. Um, she knows ultimate healing is guaranteed because she knows the Lord. The best is yet to come. And she wants to keep on ministering to her family and others here, but complete and total trust in God and a great perspective. And depending on personalities, sometimes we're not that able to be uh, like that in that moment. You know, um, I go, uh, I'm going to say I was born in D.C. We've got some people that were from further up here and stuff like that. You know, sometimes those of us with a more northern persuasion, you know, are accused of not being as syrupy as southerners in the way we approach things in life, a little bit more blunt and out there. Uh, and that certainly is like what my family's like. Uh, but uh, for all of us, turning to the Lord and getting his perspective on things helps us. So Psalm 13. The New King James is the one I'm using on Sunday nights, and its uh, subscription is Trust in the Salvation of the Lord. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> How long will you hide your face from me? I wonder if you've ever felt like that, that God has forgotten you, that He has hidden His face from you. Verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, <laughs> having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? A lot of how longs there. Verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. Uh, I believe it's the Holman that says here, Restore the brightness to my eyes. Have you ever had the uh, light, the joyful light of your eyes dim a little bit because of frustration? Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will. Notice we're turning in some I wills here. I will. Uh, I have trusted. I will rejoice. I will sing to the Lord, verse 6, because God, He has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Psalm 13. Little psalm. Perfect uh, for today. The question, how long, is typical of the lament psalms. How many times does how long occur in the first two verses? Four, Four times. That's right. Four times. That's a lot of how longs in a short space of time. And remember, 
this is uh, not uh, uh, me talking to George. How long until the Cowboys put another trophy on the shelf, you know, and things like that? How long? So they've been close and they might be close this year. We'll see. They might just lose Monday night. We'll see. Uh, how long? How long? Expressing frustration about something. This is a guy talking to God about his circumstances, right? How long, O oh Lord? Uh, you can almost see the, it stinks to be me right now mindset that David's got. You know, this is, uh, uh, this is the abundant line, John 10, 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. Lord, I thought you talked about abundant life for me. I know I've got eternal life, but I thought you promised abundant life too. Uh, it said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, you'll give me the desires of my heart. Well, I'm delighting in you. And it looks like, uh, you know, I'm in a cave rather than a palace, you know. Um, and so he's taking these words directly to the Lord. If you ever find yourself praying and sighing, looking at what's wrong in your life and family in the world and saying, how long? You're in good company. You're in good company. Um, great prayer warriors like David did it all the time. And I'm intrigued by the statement that it says David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, I believe some of what that means is similar to what uh, Jacob learned as he clung to the Lord in a big wrestling match. Do you remember what Jacob said to the Lord when he was wrestling with him? What did he say? I won't let you go till you bless me. I won't let you go till you bless me. And I think some of that is David's, not only the, the realization, you know, humanly speaking, I've got nowhere else to turn, Lord. I'm turning to you again. Uh, these are some sorry circumstances, you know, so I'm coming to you again, and I need you, Lord. Uh, but it also is the recognition that uh, nothing is greater than God's blessing, and it's Jacob wrestling with God for the blessing. This life is dealing with one result of another after the fall. I don't know if you, you guys feel that, but I, you know, uh, so many times I think, oh, that was really neat that that happened today. Somebody came to know Christ. That's awesome. Oh, what a great thing. We were praying, and at that very moment, uh, the answer came. That's awesome, you know. So we pray about little things. We pray about big things. We see those answers, and we're like, praise the Lord. Uh, but uh, I remember Ron Dunn when he used to speak up at Dwayne Hills, and he's in heaven now. Ron Dunn, the great evangelist, used to say, good and evil run on parallel tracks and usually arrive about the same time. So something good happens, and then you're like, well, what do you mean i got to pay $500 extra when I didn't budget for that? You know, uh, And it's just life's like that. You know, One, something good, something bad, and sometimes it's bad, 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 bad from our perspective. And... Um, uh, somehow we know instinctively that this world of setbacks and frustrations and results of sin and corruption in local government and national governments and everywhere in between, all the way to the international government apparatuses that are trying to be put into place, we instinctively know that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, uh, every time we, uh, you know, I've done several funerals for children, I've done several funerals for those who committed suicide. Um, and uh, there's a lot that's hard to figure out in life, you know, and why, why, why? How long, oh Lord, how long, how long? It's interesting that we go to the book of Revelation and we find this is not just an Old Testament prayer. Even during the time of the tribulation, saints will be under the throne looking at things happening on earth, the bad things happening on earth, and they'll be saying, how long, oh Lord, until you finally settle all these accounts, you know? And the Lord says, rest a little while longer. I got this. I got this. 
Then in Revelation 18, when the fall of Babylon does happen, representing all the sinful world apparatuses and things, uh, somebody in heaven's rejoicing, I think it's an angel saying, you know, hey, saints, God's done it. You've been asking for this for thousands of years, and now the moment's come. Babylon will be remembered no more. Um, look at this C.S. Lewis quote. I think I put it in there for you. If you constantly find yourself frustrated and thinking there should be more than what you're experiencing, maybe it's because we are created for another world where there are no effects of sin. Um, do you agree with C.S. Lewis in that? Why or why not? We have to agree with him. He's one of the best we had in the last hundred years. So you got to agree with C.S. Lewis. But do you, do you resonate with that? Um, what, is, what is he trying to communicate that, to us there? This is the portion where um, if you've got something the world to... Is not my home, just the, the great hymn, This World Is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through. You know, I sang that before church one time. Not that I can sing, but uh, when I was wor working with that independent Baptist pastor in Tennessee, he'd make us, uh, those of us who were going to turn into preachers, do stuff like that. And that's one of the ones I sang. <laughs> um, but yeah, This World's Not Our Home, We're Just Passing Through. What else in there? It certainly um, helps push back against um, prosperity theology that teaches if you have your faith in Christ right, you're going to experience continual blessings, right? And, uh, you know, um, and if, if you really think that, then when adversity comes, which may be a teaching tool of the Lord or to advance His glory somehow or make you able to relate to people you couldn't previously relate, God allows it for such things, then, then you'll say, what did I do wrong? Why me, God? You know, um, rather than uh, the kind of faith we saw from Bonnie Gilreath this morning in quoting Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What other thoughts do you have from that? Obviously, it's something that we think of pastorally, you know, that the best is yet to come for every believer. We want to make a difference now, but the best is yet to come. Uh, but... Um, uh, oh yeah, yeah. And one of the questions that we talked about was people that say, "Why, why would a good God do this to me?" Mm. The reason things happen is not because God did it; because of sin. Mm. You know, and yeah, I, you know, David was a man after his own God's own heart, but he sure had a lot of issues with. He yeah. had a lot of challenges and yeah. he failed. You know, yeah. I don't know what exactly when this psalm was written, but, uh, you know, what, what, where was he at emotionally and mentally right. when, when he penned this? Yeah, it's certainly something that uh, pastorally, you know, uh, applies to us here, you know, that, um, but you're, you're hinting on it there in a good way. Um, do you all understand the word apologetics? Uh, apologetics is just a big word that means defending the faith. And there are people that look at the problems in the world and they say, see there, there can't be a God, you know. And uh, how would you take this C.S. Lewis quote and the kind of things that uh, David was reflecting there? How would, uh, how would you um, go beyond encouraging a brother or sister in Christ, which we've uh, seen a lot of lately with some of the testimonies we've heard, um, as they face difficult things, but go beyond that to uh, talking to a non-Christian who would say trouble in the world uh, means, or injustice in the world means that there is no God. How would you try to uh, 
So let me pick on Caleb here. Caleb, you've been an apologetics type Bible teacher at uh, Westover Christian School and other venues and things like that. So somebody says to you, uh, Caleb, there's just so much, uh, you know, injustice in the world. And so I can't believe in a God because there's injustice in the world. Um, is, is C.S. Lewis give us a train of thought that helps us uh, know how to answer such a person? Absolutely. Tell them, you know, this was not God's design. Mm. You know, God's design was perfect. Mm. And man chose to sin. And when sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. Yeah. And so that's why these bad things continue to happen. Mm. And uh, how, how uh, selfish is the right word, but how uh, improper of us to assume that only good things would, you know, would Amen. Caleb did good. He walked us through the uh, steps of peace with God, didn't he? You know, that God's got a purpose, man's got a problem, God's got a solution, and man needs to respond. Um, you know, one thing I have found is, uh, you know, both when I reflect back on the smart aleck that I was before salvation and the smart aleck tendencies still in me and many of my family members and that sort of thing is, uh, many times when people just are flat out wise in their own eyes, uh, they, they don't like more information from us. And so um, I've learned the value when talking to such a person of turning things back into questions. And uh, can you think of a question uh, related to what we just talked about that, um, so a person comes to you, uh, so you're thinking of a question here, a person comes to you and said, because there's trouble in the world I, and, and, and there's so much injustice and things, I just can't uh, believe in God. Is there a tr question to turn that and make them start thinking? The question is, what did Jesus say about it? Okay. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yes. So that's going to encourage all of us who believe because he set us up for it, didn't he? Believers aren't supposed to expect, expect uh, pie, pie right now because uh, uh, he said, in the, that's good. In the world, you will have trouble. I, I, if you can't trust in God, who are you going to trust in? That's my, that would be my question. It's like, is somebody else better yeah. or consistently good? Um, so the good thing about uh, both, well, that was very good, and Allen's is very good too, because um, you know we don't live in a vacuum. We've all got to believe something, and it's not like you're choosing. It's not like only Christians have to talk about the problem of suffering. Everybody's got suffering, so you bring it back to the the value of adding in um, what Donnie just said. Yeah, in this world you do have trouble, but Mohammed didn't say, "But take heart, I've overcome the world." You know, Jesus did. Um, <laughs> George, will you have something there? Um, you know, talking about this, we, we addressed a little bit of uh, this morning in our Sunday school class when we were looking at Romans 8. And, of course, Paul begins uh, towards the end of Romans 8 asking a series of rhetorical questions. And 
it gets to verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Mm -hmm. Or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all things, all these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. Mm, amen. Amen. It's the love of Christ that guarantees us that perfected eternity that we are expecting once we accept Christ yeah. as our Savior. That's good. And ultimately, you know, nothing works on the heart like talking about Jesus, you know. Uh, now, let me suggest one thing. So you got a grandchild, and they come to you and says, I've decided no longer to believe because of the uh, trouble in the world and the injustice in the world. I can't believe how there could be a God and He allow these things, right? Uh, one simple question to ask them to get them thinking is, uh, well, how do you know it's the world's messed up? Some of you have heard the story, but it's worth sharing here because I know several haven't. But um, for a while I met with a fella, and he is developing cures for um, cancers and um, hypertension and other things as a research smart scientist guy up at uh, the University of Virginia. And, but he um, needed help being practically uh, how to relate to his wife, love her as Christ loved the church, et cetera. So we started meeting. We went through Ephesians together a little bit at a time. And, and he just, you know, I was really encouraging him to, as we're in a book like Ephesians, um, you know, to ask questions of the text, to meditate on verses, to pull it out there, you know. And so uh, I'll never forget how inspired he was when he... Uh, when I came across that verse, not only husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, but also uh, that the way the husband loves his wife, uh, nourishing and cherishing her, is to care for his own flesh as well. And somewhere in there, the Holy Spirit hit him with the thought, what if everything my wife knew about following Christ came from my ministry to her? And he thought she'd be nowhere with Christ, you know, because I, I, I haven't done that. I haven't, you know, loved her as Christ loved the church, etc. So I was teaching him things like that. And I was asking him questions because I wanted to learn more about DNA and other things like that, you know. And one day we were talking for breakfast there, and he talked about how he'll go to um, conferences with Joe Smart Guy, professor at UVA. Uh, and he said, Danny, he said, I, I, I need to be able to answer him because he many times in his presentations with a group, you know, here I am a believer and there's other believers there too, but every time he, he opens with a statement and he talks about a certain type of birth defect, a child born with a birth defect. Um, and he says, because of that, because that's wrong and the child's born that way, I could never, ever believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God. How do I answer him? And I just started chuckling. And uh, this uh, wonderful guy I was talking with that was growing in his relationship with the Lord said, why are you laughing? I said, well, because Joe Smart Guy, uh, you know, really um, doesn't see uh, a very basic thing. What, what, what does he not see? The question back to Joe Smart Guy is, how do you know that there's a problem with that baby's birth? How do you know it's not supposed to be that way? If evolution's true, you can't define anything as a success or an accident. It just is, right? Um, just as you can't really have any moral binding law because it's life is the Serengeti, you know? Everybody does what was right in their, in their own eyes and goes like that. You have to drop back because usually a baby is born with everything working 
to know this is the way it's supposed to be under the microscope and as you check out different things and things like that. In other words, there's a universal standard of what a baby's supposed to be like that helps him know when something has, the child has some things that are off the standard. Um, well, the same way, how come, you know, all over the world when an injustice is done, we say that's unjust. Um, Buddhism doesn't teach things that way. I remember challenging a Buddhist one time about injustices back in her home country. Babies being left to die. I said, can't you say that's wrong? She said, no, it just is. And I said, well, wait a second, you know, um, <laughs> it just is. What do you mean? She said, things just are the way they are. Um, so whether it's the evolutionists that believe all of life's a cosmic accident, you know, that just happened to happen, or whether it's Eastern religions that kind of have that flow mentality and you don't really do things to stop injustice, you just meditate to not think about it. And um, So anyway, I, I said the answer to Joe Smart Guy is that things really do lay out like a track. There's a way the baby's supposed to be. There's a purpose and plan. There's a, there's a way it's supposed to be. But uh, it's not that way, and Christians' answer to that is that God creates everything perfectly. He's got a perfect design and plan, and yet when Adam and Eve sinned, it really did have consequences for weather until Christ comes back, and births until Christ comes back, and human behavior until Christ comes back, and the way societies, uh, you know, you know, if they're turning away from the Lord, might makes right, you know, and all those different things rather than right be right, you know. Uh, so smart guys win or powerful guys win, you know, et cetera, at the expense of the weak. Why do we not treat all the weak as weak and disposable? In India, many times they give very little care to people with deformities. And, you know, why do we treat every life with such dignity? Um, that's not what evolution teaches, you know. In fact, one of the most consistent atheistic philosophers was Nietzsche, right, who uh, basically uh, said, listen, you know, um, the idea of God is dead and we ought to live with those consequences. He talked about the superman and the super race. For Nietzsche, morality was the strong imposing their will on the weak. And we recoil at that today. Even those who don't love Jesus recoil at that today, but they don't recoil at it because Nietzsche was being inconsistent. He was being a consistent atheist. Um, and advocating the same, and that turned into Nietzsche, turned into Hitler saying, we'll be the super race and, you know, all that different stuff. So anyway, um, Joe Smart Guy needed to just walk through the track. Jesus has acted in time to do something about human suffering. And so, and then of course we got to respond. And so that, that helped him. You know, I don't know how that uh, went in talks with Joe Smart Guy. You know, Joe Smart Guys need to be prayed for and loved. But when a crisis comes, many times that's our moment and opportunity to talk. But, uh, you know, so David's asking how long here, and it's mostly pastoral things. But C.S. Lewis's quote is so good because we do get frustrated that things aren't as they are. But it's because, one, it wasn't supposed to be that way in God's plan A. but Human sin came into the world. Jesus acted in time so we can live different now and His retirement plan is out of this world and one day everything will be taken care of. Well, this psalm is classic trouble and trust. It begins with grievous lament and it ends with genuine trust. Uh, David again, here's your fill in the blank, models using his prayer time to urge himself to trust in God despite his circumstances. And not just to trust but to leave his prayer time with a song of praise on his lips. Look again at verse 6. 
after pouring his heart out to God and urging himself to consider uh, and, and, to, and, and, and for God to hear him, and he pours out his heart to him. I love verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So David used his prayer time to remind himself of past deliverances by God and past times of God's provision. And he knew God was still at work in his life. Um, and we need to do that too. In our prayer times, we need to move from complaint, the trouble that we're experiencing, being honest with God about that. And in our feelings, it's okay to ex tell God exactly how you're feeling. We need to move from that to remembrance, remembrance of his past activity in our life, uh, things we learn from the scriptures, his deliverances, his times of providing. He provided then, he'll provide now. So in just six verses, David moves from despair to rejoicing, from agony to ecstasy, from sorrow to song. And the same kind of thing can happen to us as we pray and pour our hearts out to God. Another person in the Bible who had that kind of trust uh, in God, no matter what God brought his way, was Job. So help me finish this wonderful verse from Job. I'm actually reading in Job right now, but in Job 13, 15, David, uh, Job says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Uh, you've heard the snarky husband say, My wife ever leaves me, I'm going with her. Right? <laughs> and that's what Job said. Job's like, sure does appear like what's happening has the hand of God on it in some way. All his friends are saying, come on, Job, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? And he hadn't done, Job acknowledges he's a sinner, but he can't think of any one sin to bring about what's going on in his life and his family and the loss of all the possessions and things like that. And so what a statement of trust in the midst of just absolutely facing a difficult time. You know, even though God brings about my death through this, I'm still going to trust him because frankly, that's all I know to do. Uh, I'm going to trust him no matter what. Great statement of faith. Um, I especially like David's request in verse 3. Hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Enlighten my eyes. And um, sometimes uh, as we compare translations, we just hear an exceptional rendering. And I think it was the Holman that has here, restore brightness to my eyes. Um, when we evaluate our troubles apart from a sense that God is control, many times the lamp can start to dim. It, it can go out. And David's cognizant of that. He's like, I'm in danger of getting bitter here. <laughs> I better pour out my heart to God and trust Him and, and, and trust Him to restore these things like this. Ruby, did you have a comment or question there? I, I worked with a, a woman, a really sweet Christian lady, whose little guy was two years old when he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Ooh. And um, she was a traveling nurse between deleted sites. But when she was there, she would sometimes come up and just sit in my office, because my office was not the typical. I didn't do these lights. I just had a regular light on, and there was a couple of comfy chairs, and it was a cozy place to come. So she would come in, and she'd say, um, his nickname was Applejack, and she would say, I don't know what God's plan is and why this is all happening, but I know he loves Applejack. I know he loves me and I, my husband. And she says, I'm just going to praise him for the time that he has allowed us to have him. Amen. I mean, he passed away when he was four. But, yeah. Um, I mean, those are the, you know, 
how many people with a little person like that, they just want to see them graduate and get married, and yeah. why are you taking them so early? And yeah. But that was such, she had such a sweet demeanor, and yeah. she, you know, the tears were there saying it, you know, and she knew that her Applejack might leave her soon, but for her, she was just felt that it was such a blessing that yeah. she had him in the first place. That's such a great testimony, yeah. Sometimes, and, and you may be here, uh, sometimes we do lose that sparkle in our eyes. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to regain it by um, focusing more on our own resources. Um, uh, in the circumstances getting better, the circumstance might not get better. Um, but the Lord is with us and the Lord is there and he's there for us. To, and that's why David, even in the midst of this, how long, how long, he realizes, okay, it's almost like David was getting tired of hearing himself complain there, you know, uh, all those complaints to God. And so he's like, okay, I'm turning to you, Lord, uh, <laughs> though it doesn't get better, yet I trust you. And sometimes it's important for us just to verbalize those words to the Lord. Lord, I'm frustrated. I've had about as much as I can take, uh, you know, but I don't know anything else but to turn to you. You've been awful good to me in the past, and I know your retirement plan's out of this world. Won't you meet me in this moment? Won't you uh, restore the brightness to my eyes, that little sparkle that tells people I'm trusting you, even in the midst of the hard things? Um, and uh, it's so important for us to get ourselves there in our prayer time and writing our own psalms. You're writing Psalm 151 every day, you know, and Psalm 15,001 every day. You're writing your own psalm before the good Lord. And as you do that, um, you know, that's what makes the difference in our witness. Uh, so um, when times are good, it's easy for anybody to be doing good and upbeat and stuff like that. But, uh, but as Jesus said, even, even heathen love their own. But when you do the unexpected, when you love your enemies, when you're uh, sparkling with God's joy, when others would be complaining and uh, throwing things and all the other stuff, then people ask you for a reason for the hope that's within you. Um, if you let God, He can restore that brightness to your eyes and bring good even out of crushing circumstances. There's a whole lot of life on the other side of when we think we can't go on. Um, and... Uh, I just, let me bring this back before we close in prayer too. Um, that person out there that um, has lost their way, whether it's your prodigal child, I know even in seeing the Harpers just now, uh, they uh, had a lady leaving their presence whose uh, son has become one that has turned away from the faith after many years of excitedly looking like he was in the faith and now he's turned away from the faith and, you know, that sort of thing. And um, we talked about a strategy with such a person or a atheist, uh, whoever is just uh, angry and bitter at God, the God they say doesn't exist, um, to uh, letting them talk some and then asking them good questions and listening for more of their story. When you combine that kind of that, uh, with throwing in some of the scriptures of David's trust here, trust we've seen like we saw today in some of the testimonies we had, um, 
trusting God even in the midst of hard times, His presence being with us. And the Holy Spirit often takes those things and puts them all together. The teaching from God's Word, the testimony of someone trusting God in the midst of difficult things, the loving them enough to let them talk and put it out there. And I just think about how God does that with us. So God's on the other end of this that David's given, right? And God's just patiently like, okay, watch this, Gabriel. <laughs> watch this, Gabriel. He just needs to get it out. There's my child, David. He just needs to get it out. So he, David's saying how long, and God's just giving him that look of love, you know, from heaven. David can't even see it because he's on earth. Um, watch this, Gabriel. He's going to start remembering things we've, we've taught him. And David starts recounting the scriptures back to himself. Uh, watch this, Gabriel. I bet he's going to sing a little. He's going a little song's going to start in his heart before he's done, because he's been after my heart, and he won't let me go till I bless him. Watch this. I'm gonna bless him, you know. And somewhere in there, God just puts it all together. He does it to bring prodigals home. He does it for the child of God that uh, is frustrated and hurting. He does it for the overwhelmed saint who's just had a lot of grief, you know. And uh, you keep seeking Him, you keep saying how long, you keep trusting Him, don't let go until He gives you the blessing. And He has His way of doing that. He loves it when we cling to Him like a child to the parent. Because He knows stuff we don't know. And He loves us even when we're unlovable. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts, as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.